TheLinguist.com, the power of language. Um, but more and more, that's how people identify themselves. And, of course, the government has put in place, as I said, a series of grants and a series of structures and programs uh, which reinforce that tendency because it's the old divide-and-conquer strategy. If they can get people dividing in, into groups, then they can play off one group against the other and use them to get out to nominating meetings, to use them to work in elections. I mean, we had the latest example of the immigration minister uh, having to step down allegedly because she was, you know, bringing in strippers in, in exchange for work on the campaign and also helping people, you know, if they gave free pizza. I mean, it's an interesting combination, you know. You get a stripper and a free pizza. Um, but these are the kinds, this is absurd examples, but this is the sort of thing that we're talking about if you have a society in which the individual is dominant, the individual is, is free and powerful, this is a threat to governments. This is a threat to politicians. So much better that you weaken the individual and uh, strengthen the sense of groups. I think, too, it's, it's uh, in a country where there are people of so many different uh, ethnic origins. If you have a society where you only identify with people who are of the same origin... And if your neighbor on the right or on the left or across the street is not of the same origin, then he is not part of your community, then obviously you have a community that is starting to become dysfunctional, where, uh, you know, the old idea of, of neighbors helping each other because they're neighbors, uh, because they belong to the same geographical community, then is, uh, is weakened. Um, in that regard, I thought it was kind of interesting that, uh, I don't know if you read the, the National Post this morning, uh, they mentioned the fact that Normie Kwong is going to be uh, appointed the new lieutenant governor of Alberta. And uh, the Calgary Herald said that this was a wonderful thing, and uh, it's, an, it's an indication of how far we've come in terms of being a non-racial society. But it, uh, we won't have gotten all the way there until, until people stop referring to people's ethnic origins uh, you know, in, in how we identify Canadians. And, and I think this is a point, that it is time... Uh, I think it can be argued that uh, 50 years ago, uh, people of sort of non-founding nation, non-British and French origin, uh, were uh, either felt themselves or were, were held to be somehow less Canadian. That is no longer the case. And so I think it's, it's sort of very important for Canada that we move beyond this sort of... It's one thing to recognize the equality of people of all kinds of different origins, but it's another mm -hmm. thing to actually celebrate or invest the taxpayers' money into sort of solidifying these differences. Well, you know, you speak of Normie Kwong, and, you know, people of a certain generation, my age and older, will remember him as being a fantastic football player, uh, very briefly with Calgary and then with the Edmonton Eskimos. So, you know, amongst a certain generation, his appointment could be seen as divisive. That is to say, if you identify yourself as a Calgary Stampeder fan uh, as opposed to an Albertan. Um, you know, but just on a British Columbian note, uh, I'd like to remind you that we, uh, uh, the first Chinese Canadian uh, lieutenant governor was here in BC, the Honorable David Lamb, an absolutely marvelous human being who has gone out of his way in many ways to try and break down uh, the divide. And Steve, you're absolutely right. We've got, once we stop talking about people because they're pointed on the basis of their demographic characteristics, then we will have achieved what we're trying to do. Um, but we're a long way from that. We're talking about communities um, and neighbors. Uh, we've got situations now 
where we have people who are born in Canada, but when they get to first-year elementary school, they still can't speak English because they're living in ghettos, uh, linguistic ghettos, and uh, the government has encouraged that. And this is a, an absolute travesty. Now, as far as ritual democracy goes, you know, people like that, we're giving people citizenship after three years, even though they really may not know. They may know enough to get through an exam briefly, but like most people who cram for exams, they quickly forget it. And if you don't participate in the process, either because you haven't got the linguistic skills or for other reasons, you're very easily, uh, it's very easy for government to manipulate you. And uh, as I'm fond of quoting uh, Edward R. Morrow, if you have a, a nation of sheep, it begets a government of wolves. And uh, that's, where, that's where we're at. It all sounds pretty gloomy. Now, uh, do you think, that, are there any bright signs on the horizon? Uh, you mentioned this initiative here in B.C. Uh, where do you think that's going to lead? Uh, what do you see for the future? Well, mankind, even though we all procrastinate, and we tend to leave, let things go till the 11th hour, uh, no matter what the subject, uh, we've historically demonstrated an incredible capacity to fix things once people are persuaded that something needs to be fixed. And uh, I'm persuaded that over the course of the last five or six years, um, many of the opinion elites in this country and the media and elsewhere are starting to pay attention and, and starting to say, yeah, you know, this is wrong. This needs to be fixed. So um, we're seeing some electoral reform initiatives started again here in British Columbia. Ontario is now going to appoint a citizens' assembly based on our model, I understand. Other uh, provinces are looking at the same thing. Even the, the prime minister is talking about the democratic, democratic deficit. Now, he's just doing that, of course, for uh, partisan political purposes because his pollsters have told him that people are worried about it. He doesn't mean a damn thing about it. But the fact is that he's talking about it because the polls say people care. And when people start to care about something, then you'll see change. Uh, the classic example in the last federal election, um, an ethnic uh, group took away the Conservative Party nomination from a, a long-sitting and very, very popular MP in Surrey. Um, and this man was persuaded to seek re-election as an independent against the partisan entities, including his old party. And he won, overwhelmingly. He got 44% of the vote. The, the next candidate, uh, it was the Liberal, got only, I think it was... Uh, 24%, or sorry, the NDP got 24%, the Liberal 16 and the chap that effectively, you know, stole the Conservative nomination only got 12. If he got 2% less, he wouldn't have got his deposit back, nor any reimbursement from the Crown for his election expenses. That was a wonderful triumph of democracy, in large part because of how popular this individual was. But it shows that people are paying attention. And uh, so I'm, I'm actually very optimistic about the future for democracy in Canada. Okay, well, maybe we will uh, end it on that positive note. And I thank you very much for this uh, brief uh, survey of some of the ills of democracy and perhaps some of the, the bright si uh, signs that we have that things might improve. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. TheLinguist.com, the power of language.